This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, terrible writing at its finest. everyone, welcome back to Season 3 of Star Trek slash Watches of Tomorrow. I am Gepwin and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hello! Season 3 of the original series, the worst Star Trek season. Don't worry, we'll slog it out for you guys and we'll get to the other end, uh, hopefully intact. So, so how are your limbs at this point, Gepwin? Uh, mostly there. <laughs> yeah, this season, um, as with... Every season of original series, uh, Star Trek very consistently rated about third place in its time slot, according to Nielsen ratings, which was bad. Because you know, when you only have a few networks, that you know, it's kind of means you're you're you know lagging behind if you're three out of three. <laughs> yeah, the studio gave it two seasons. Like there was some fan backlash when they didn't want to renew it for the second season, but nothing so big. This season, they were definitely going to cancel it. Uh, until a massive letter-writing campaign, which is actually kind of interesting because it's uh, talked about as the first organized fan effort and possibly the genesis of all fan culture as we know it today. For good and ill. Was also spearheaded by the female fans of the show because at this time Star Trek had a much larger female fan base than male fan base. Surprise, guys. Specifically, a woman named Bent Joe and her husband John, who organized kind of letter writing campaign by sending out flyers and individual letters at sci-fi conventions. And uh, Roddenberry is even reported to have stolen fans' addresses from the studio mailroom and given it to them so that they could send out targeted pleas to write letters <laughs> to the studio to save the show. Hmm, sneaky Jane. Hmm. So there are a lot of contradictory reports. This resulted in somewhere between 12,000 and 100,000 letters. Yeah, well, I guess it might come down to who you talk to, you know, is it the people in the mailroom, the executives, somebody else, maybe? Yeah, the executives claim something more like 10,000 and then like Roddenberry and some of the fans claim over 100,000. So a little order of magnitude difference, you know, it, it happens when you're trying to uh, you know, push something there. So the show did get a third season, obviously, but no one wanted to, so they dramatically slashed the budget. A lot of the best writers left. Uh, Roddenberry was ticked off and decided to take a very hands-off approach for this season, and the studio moved the show to 10 p.m. on Fridays, which was known as the time slot of death. Because everyone's already out or asleep by then. Yeah. You know, it's either party time or rest. So yeah, this season's not off to a good start before it started. There was also some sort of uh, selling of uh, the company or something like that. Yeah, there were some various moves around. Yeah, <laughs> Desilu Studios was never doing well to begin with. And so suddenly we got some sort of Paramount, right? Yeah. Star Trek got owned by Paramount. Um, no one really wanted it. And the particularly important thing to say about it getting a third season however, is that it got it over the number of episodes that were necessary for it to be sold into syndication. Da -da -da! Which is flat out the only reason that anyone remembers it at all today and why it spawned the rest of Star Trek as we know it. Indeed, uh, you know, just, you know, old episodes popping up, you know, random time slots whenever, you know, general cable channels need something or, you know, you know, even the major networks need to fill a time slot that didn't have anything for it. So I'll just slap an episode of Star Trek in there. People like that, right? And also, since people uh, might be confused by this because I had to look it up, even though Star Trek only maxed out at 79 episodes, the 100-episode syndication number is a general guideline, and it changes depending on what network is buying, what kind of show it is, and when the show was syndicated. So I got, got a, a leg up then, eh? Yeah, so some things like cartoons could be syndicated after like 65 or so episodes. Uh, dramas, which is what Star Trek fell under at the time, needed to fewer than the normal 100 or 88 episodes. I, I believe uh, Stargate uh, did a joke about syndication at some point, and uh, their number was 300. Yeah, Stargate did, did way too many episodes. But 
Yep. <laughs> you know, it was like uh, in total, like seventeen seasons on you know for three shows. <laughs> then again, Star Trek can't you know you know, you know can't be uh, uh, called as being a show that in total is lacking in episodes. You know, you know, original series, Next Generation, DS Nine, Voyager, animated series, Discovery, Enterprise. You know, all that. All right. Does anyone who is familiar with third season of Star Trek knows it starts? It debuts with what is widely considered to be the worst episode of the series, if not the franchise. Whoops. It's even written by someone we've praised before as far as their episodes go. Oh, no. It's written by someone we've never heard of. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lee Cronin. But who's Lee Cronin, Gepwin? Who who is this Lee Lee Cronin, really? The Spock's Brain was written by Lee Cronin, who no one's ever heard of, because it is the pseudonym used by Gene L. Kuhn, who wrote some of the better episodes, because everyone who worked on this show was embarrassed to be part of this production. <laughs> now, now, I will temper this a little bit that uh, there was also a story about Gene L. Kuhn uh, wasn't supposed to be working there at the time, so I'm not entirely sure which one is more true, but eh. There was also one works probably <laughs> some Writers Guild shenanigans, because that's often what's happening in this time yeah. period. <laughs> Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. I just need to, you know, poke fun at that. But also, every person who worked on this wrote badly about this experience in their later memoirs. Yes. <laughs> we do have a few guest stars this episode, even though they are stupid and have very few speaking lines, but they're in there. We have Marge Doucet playing Kara, Sheila Lenton playing Luma, and James Darris playing Morg. Morg, which I don't is not a name as so much as a species, but we'll get to that later. That's just how he is credited. A designation. Okay, we uh, this is going to be short, which is why we spent so long talking about season three. <laughs> it's one of those episodes that's like badly written and has no plot, but at least narratively moves forward enough for it to be easy to write. Yes, there are things that happen. They don't make any sense, but they happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Enterprise is out doing undesignated space stuff when an unidentified vessel comes moving towards them powered by super advanced ion engines. You mean like the ion engines that we have today? No, it must be better than that. Because apparently ion technology is so vastly far ahead of what anything humans are capable of that they're just like, oh my god, what an advanced civilization. (laughs) So stripping electrons off of atoms is more technologically advanced than pure antimatter reactions. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. It apparently generates more power than a nuclear pile 10 miles wide, according to Scotty later. No, that's not how it works. But anyway, (laughs) bad science aside. A woman beams aboard the bridge, uses a wristband thing to unceremoniously knock out the entire crew at once, then moves towards Spock. When they all come to, the woman is gone. Uh, Kirk is called to sickbay to see Spock lying on a medical bay, where McCoy informs him that they found him lying in bed like this with no brain. Whoops. Did he drop it somewhere? Uh, what happened? Also, as a side <laughs> note, I have no idea what DeForest Kelly is doing in this episode, but it's not acting. <laughs> um, reading his script, maybe? <laughs> yeah, but also with a lot of eyebrow movement. There's a disturbing uh, amount of eyebrow movement. Well, maybe he's uh, you know surprised by Scotty's new hairdo or something. And yeah. Just, just oh cannot my deal. God, everyone looks terrible. Yes. <laughs> it looks like Shatner aged about 10 years. Scotty has some sort of weird gray pompadour. I, I don't know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> we need to change it up for the next season to uh, maybe try to get a, a fourth season. Um, everyone look totally different. Okay, you look terrible, uh, but it's different. Uh, we'll go with it. Kirk is pretty understandably freaked out at this point, and he immediately runs off to find Spock's brain, because... <gasps> If this were just a dumb old human brain, it wouldn't matter very much. Everything would be fine. But Vulcans actually need their brains, so his body is going to die in 24 hours if they don't find it again. Yeah, so, so we got a ticking clock that 
only happens because Spock's not dead already, apparently, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if they'd taken some human's brain, it w- they wouldn't even have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just kind of shrug at this whole thing. It's, it's yeah. What the hell? They follow the ship's energy trail thing to a system with three inhabitable planets, each in a stage of development that would preclude having this kind of spaceship. One is an early industrial age. One is in a middle space age, something that they say is about uh, 2030, so about 10 years out from where we're at. And a planet in the middle of an ice age with a few very pre-industrial settlements. So all of these are probably not it. Got it. But the ice planet has some weirdo energy readings that they kind of ignore, but they're there. They they sort of do this weird scene where they're sort of like arguing over the different uh, uh, options. And it's kind of mostly just a a means to give Sulu and Chekhov something to say. Yeah, so Chekhov reads out what the computer says about each of these planets. And Kirk yells at him, going, but none of these could be the one we're looking for. Calm down, Kirk. We know. (laughs) Uh, So they play the shell game with planets. Uh, Each one picks something different, but Kirk picks Ice Age Planet, and we're going with him, because Captain. And, you know, if we can't search an entire planet in, you know, whatever, like, eight hours we have left, you know, then then it's not worth the time, right? As soon as they land, they detect and then are attacked by a small group of who they describe as very large aliens dressed in fur. They aren't that large. They're a little muscly, but... Yeah, there's uh, the the Galileo 7 uh, episode had large aliens. They mm-hmm. were huge. These guys are just mildly beefy. Beefy boys. They stun one to question him. The alien keeps calling them the others, the bringers of pain and pleasure. And they immediately discover that this alien has no concept of gender, which weirds them out. Something massive. You guys have never been to a planet without genders? Yeah. A lot of aliens out there, right? Also, why is that their first question to every... They, they like catch something <laughs> that looks male and they go, where are your women? Why is this the first thing you ask people? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to try to defend this. <laughs> I was already like, I'm so done by this uh, by this point. So uh, They like really can't figure out this whole there isn't men or women thing. Uh, and then they get, you know, don't worry about it. They let the dude run off and then they find a cave full of food and tools. And Kirk goes, it's a trap. Insert Admiral Akbar here. Um well, they proceed to sort of hang out in the trap and discuss it, and then it's like, yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, you know, Scotty, you can uh, have the people hang out out here, and then we can do this or the other thing. And yeah, they stand in this trapped cave for a good long time, then order that McCoy beam down, and he does with remote control Spock. He's now a robot. Yeah, he's got a doodah on his head, and McCoy has a, some sort of control thingy that's remote controlling yeah, no. Spock. Now they did set this up beforehand in the uh, uh, bed, uh, you know uh, sick bay uh, scene, but it was it was just sort of like okay, Kirk, you you, you want to be able to reinstall Spock's brain at a moment's notice, so we have to actually bring him along. Yeah, and this is what they're doing. Yeah, no stretcher or anything. Just so Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and remote control Spock move into the cave. Uh, it immediately slams shut because this time they triggered the trap. Yep. It turns into an elevator and takes them down below the surface. Chekhov and the guards stay up top, but don't worry, he heats up a rock to stay warm, which was a very, very important thing that we needed to know. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a nice age planet, and there's no lots, you know, there's not like giant glaciers here. There's just, you know, your usual set stuff, but yeah, whatever. Also, this is the flat out cheapest looking set they have ever been on because yes. budget cuts. <laughs> Now, they've been on some cheap sets before this point, people. <laughs> the elevator opens to a incredibly familiar hallway where a young woman walks towards them, but they immediately stun her and then grab her for no reason and then yell at her. Every time they see a woman in this episode, they immediately like physically detain them by grabbing their wrists. It's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Kirk on the hand, Luma. She's, she's all right. She doesn't know who they are. Uh, what a this brain they keep yelling about is, and all she really can say is that they aren't morgues or I morgues, and also she has no concept of gender. But since they call them all female in the thing, I'm going to use she pronouns because simplicity. 
Also, McCoy decides to just start insulting her. Yeah, McCoy somehow scans her and goes, she dumb. She has a mind of a child. So you, I, we've only encountered her for like 10 seconds here, but I'm declaring it to be totally true. And it's not just weird physiological differences that confuse my sensors. So no point in questioning her. That's it. Scotty's messes with one of their communicators and accidentally finds Spock. Oh, Spock's on the radio. Somehow with his voice. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds exactly like him. <laughs> Spock has no idea where he is, but agrees that they should probably come find him, because you know, he doesn't know where he is. Fine. Then the woman that they saw from before shows up and knocks them all out again. So she has a, a device that is able to knock them out, uh, you know, no matter what what's going on here. That will be very important later. They wake up in what is a council chamber uh, with a few of these morgue guys. All of them are wearing weird belts that look like they're made of half a coffee tin. Kara, who is the leader, has no idea what a brain is, no idea what they want, and wants them to just all shut up and leave. Yeah, something about what brain is brain, what is brain, some other thing. Uh. Kirk, just, she, they, they keep going, where is the, where is Spock's brain? And they go, who is Spock? What is a brain? And they go, where is Spock's brain? It's like, again, what are <laughs> these words? We don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, please clarify. No! <laughs> Kirk keeps asking about who is in charge. Even though Kara told them she's in charge. Yep. But I guess he can't believe that a woman is in charge, so he keeps yelling about who's in charge. Kirk, stop being awful. None of them know what's going on. They eventually find out about something called the controller, and then immediately leap to the conclusion that the controller must be what they're calling Spock's brain. That's a bit of a leap, but okay. Kara's just too fed up with Kirk at this point and turns on the torture belts, and I can't blame her. <laughs> it's like, I'm just done with you assholes. I'm going to you know, you know, push this button on my wrist thingy. They'll cause you all ex excessive pain and knock you out. Unlike the other button I had, which uh, would just knock you out. Yeah, this briefly incapacitates them. She leaves to talk to the controller. Kirk and the others do some stupid half vaudevillian stick to defeat the guards by punching them. Then they grab their stuff. To uh, to quote SF debris, and they fight, 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 and they fight. And they fight. <laughs> now armed with communicators, they get Spock to send out a signal they can track, and they follow it to the controller room, which is a big light-up ball with tubes. And uh, I think some of this was uh, repurposed from uh, 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 Nomad, uh, then a globe put on top. Yeah, it looks like that a bit. It also tells them that uh, if they hit a button on the wrist thingy, it'll turn the belts off. Oh, that's useful. Yeah. And what about the other thing that just knocks them out? No. No, no, no <laughs> one cares about that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's been t totally dropped by this point. Anywho. <laughs> they enter the room where Kara is using the pain belts on them. Like, they walk in and she uses pain belts. But Spock, having no brain is unaffected by the pain belts, so Kirk remote controls Spock's body to turn off the belts because this is apparently easy enough to do that he can do it despite the massive amounts of pain that are otherwise preventing him from doing things. It's like they wanted to have this particular point in this episode. Kirk is incapacitated but uses Spock's body to do the thing, and that's the entirety of this. why this plot exists for this exact moment. Also... He, he he hits a really, really big, obvious button on the wrist thing, and all their belts just fall off immediately. Plop. Momentarily safe, they talk to Spock about what's going on. His brain is apparently now running everything in what is an automated facility that is super advanced and keeps this underground part of the planet habitable. No, it's, uh, he's... Got a new job, I guess. Um, this is good. Civilization might collapse if he's not there to, uh, to continue running it. Kind of a jerk move that they, uh, you know, stole his brain to do this. But uh, Spock, are you cool with this? Yeah, Kara is pretty adamant that they, you know, not take the thing that is keeping everyone on this planet alive. Spock is pretty apathetic about the whole thing. He doesn't really say how much he wants to stay, but he doesn't go, oh my god, get me back in my body either. I guess maybe for Spock, you know, being apathetic is maybe the best option. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, the response closest to, help me, help me. <laughs> they keep demanding that Kara undo the brain surgery, because, you know, if you have the surgical ability to remove something, you have to have the surgical ability to put it back, because that's how surgery works. Now, uh, I'm now imagining a deleted scene where Kara... You know, you know, beams aboard the Enterprise and you know knocks them out, and then she pulls pulls out a giant ice cream scoop. 
Let's, yeah, you know, it's like our modern medicine where just because you can cut something off, we know how to put it back on. We're going to uh, cut off your arm here. Can you put it back? Sure. I'm, I'm certain I know how to do that. She keeps saying she doesn't know how to do this surgery, which is completely true because it turns out that anytime any of them need to know how to do something, they get hooked up to some sort of learning machine that temporarily downloads the knowledge of how to do the thing into their brain for a few hours. Well, that's kind of convenient, you know, uh, when you're having a, a civilization that is sort of intentionally in a, uh, you know, infinitely, uh, you, know, you know, childhood sort of state, you know, it'd be, you know, and you need someone who's able to physically get out there and do things and you need, you know, is in, in emergency situations. That's, that's a great idea. So they basically force her to use the machine. This oh, makes man. her all smart. So now they're dealing with someone who knows what they're doing. You know, you know, Kirk, that was kind of a jerk move. Just like this could scramble her brain. Could you not? But at least she gets her revenge for a few seconds. It might have scrambled her brain because she grabs one of their phasers because she knows what it is now and knows how to kill them with it. But she's very easily distracted like every other bad guy in this show. And yes. they just grab the phaser back from her because for some reason she's still too dumb to realize that she can just shoot them. Yeah, you, know, you could pull that trigger, you know, right? But she still refuses to do the drain surgery because it would kill everyone. So, all right, so we got a, we got an ethical uh, issue here. And she's like, no, I, I want our civilization, our people not to die. So, no, I'm not going to do the thing. You're not going to be able to force me. Ha ha. And McCoy decides that he is going to get the thing downloaded into his brain. But as they point out, the thing is made for alien brains and could kill him. But McCoy goes, but... Shouldn't I take the risk? Because I might be able to remember all this super knowledge. Because reasons... McCoy thinks very highly of himself. He uses it, looks weird and sweaty, and then goes, Of course, anyone could reconnect a brain. A child could do it. Because knowing things makes you believe that it's simple. So, I have a PhD in physics. Which makes you think a child could run a nuclear reactor. And a child cannot run a nuclear reactor. Sorry. <laughs> what about one with a PhD in physics? Um, no, I, I'm pretty sure I couldn't. So <laughs> <laughs> I know how to, you know, uh, you know, build one in theory, but how to run one that's actually existing, or you know, you know, you know, all, you know, to be an expert at all the various parts that I would need for a operational one of any uh, sort of use beyond, like, say, running a single light bulb. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more uh, intense and. Uh, I need to study up a lot more and practice and know how to, you know, you know, have real hands-on experience in operating and constructing the pieces uh, in order to fully understand, you know, the uh, the trials and tribulations involved there. So in other words, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just such a weird line. Why would that be your first one? It's like, oh my God, I know, I see how to do it now. It's kind of obvious. Not a kid could do it. Anyone could do this. How dumb were we to think and not just anyone could reconnect a brain? Well, this might come back to what people think smart people are. Yeah, that he just innately knows how to do things. Yeah, that there's not a certain amount of, oh, I need to sort of run through the whole procedure of how this works in my head a little bit in order to like, oh, yeah, now I can, you know, re you know sort of you know, recoup that, that core skill that's of this highly complex thing. And I'm not going to have all the you know, pieces of it immediately available, but I'm now in, a, in the right frame of mind in order to proceed and, yeah, I'm not able to see the entirety of the, of the whole structure. Um, it's like me and calculating, uh, you know, the sitter spaces or something like that. It's like I, can, I know the individual piece, uh, you know, and sort of how they fit together. But the whole whole thing together, not so much. So McCoy starts the operation while Kirk explains to Kara that they don't need to worry because they'll teach them how to live without their technology that they're taking away from them and colonialism is just great that's the best you'll be very happy we're just upending your civilization you know whatever yeah your civilization was stupid anyway we're bringing it to an end so have fun oh mccoy partway through the operation starts to lose all of his knowledge before he's done Whoops. Spock gets him to reconnect his vocal cords so that he can talk to him and explain to him how to finish the operation as he's doing it. Wait a moment. Spock was able to uh, you know, retain the knowledge of how to do the surgery this whole time? Apparently. So does this mean Spock's a much better doctor than McCoy now? Also now, I guess Spock should be able to advance their science by like thousands of years. 
Uh, Spock, like, start writing stuff down, please. Come on. They finish the procedure. Spock gets up and finally begins to tell everyone what in the world is actually going on. Because turns out this planet started its ice age and all the women moved underground for some reason. And this bifurcated the society in a way that hasn't been seen since ancient Rome. Ah. <laughs> but then McCoy breaks in with, oh my god, I don't want to know what's going on. Why did I even hook up his voice back? And Kirk goes, yeah, it was a risk. And they go, ah, ha, 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 the end. Screw you guys. I really don't remember the time in ancient Roman history when all the women moved underground and the Neither men became I. savage people. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe they're maybe they're thinking back to uh, bread and circuses again. <laughs> maybe they had a, f- a phase in like the you know, the seventeen hundreds where that happened on that planet. <laughs> I, I don't. There's just so many things that just don't make any damn sense in this episode. Not just one of them. So this episode is definitely the worst directed because everything just looks weird. There's a whole scene during the surgery where they all, all their faces start crossfading over the scene for some reason. Like the, the you see the surgery and then it's like Scotty's face crossfades in and out, and then Kirk's face fades in and out. It's it, for I don't know why. You, you need to feel uh, tension and drama. And we don't know how to do that in this episode. So here, have the, try this. All of the sets are super cheap. Like the rocks that they're using are the same styrofoam rocks that they've used in every episode. But they have dents and pieces that are falling off. This is the same hallway they used in like every underground episode for the last two seasons. Props are reused and things like that. And you know, there's maybe like a couple things that are uh, you know slightly more spiffy looking like on the Enterprise bridge, but that's about it. So the main thing everyone talks about how bad this episode is, and it's not very well written or directed. But like story wise and storytelling wise, I've seen worse in this series, and I've seen worse in the other series. Like like overall, this is a pretty mid tier hokey episode with bad directing. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing that really gets people in the end. It's like, yeah, this is a, a terrible script, but we've seen terrible scripts. But also on top of that, it's just so ridiculous. On top of that, yeah. Also, no one was enjoying themselves. Like, yeah. Uh, Leonard Nimoy in interviews said that he felt embarrassed during the filming of this entire episode. Um, Shatner called it a love letter to the executives who slashed <laughs> their budget. I guess if you're trying to maybe, you know, up your budget for the rest of the season, having a super cheap looking episode as the start might be the way to do it. Like, oh, yeah. Th- th- things now look terrible on the show that I just greenlit um, because I sh- sh- uh, cut the budget. Maybe that was a bad idea. Um, here, have a few extra bucks, please. Just so we don't embarrass us anymore. Overall, also, the messages are, st- the messages are stupid. They are, for some reason doing time machine but half reversed like the the one the like male barbaric characters are still barbaric and evil looking and like whatever but this time they're being predated on by pretty stupid sexy women inverting the trope i guess i guess and then there's a horrible thing where like she she mentions while they're dismantling their society, Kara mentions that they won't be able to protect themselves from their barbaric males. And Kirk goes, oh, you'll figure out other ways to control them. So Kirk, clearly these ladies left the, the, the men of this society for a purpose. Maybe this was their better attempt to try to resolve the situation. Maybe the other options just were so much worse. You ever think about that? James T. Kirk? Well, we could know that, except they interrupted Spock partway through his explanation of what the frick was going on. McCoy, just shut up already. And, you know, of course, then also you get into the... It's it's difficult to say, but since they're presenting them all as humans, um, basically there's a lot of not consensual stuff happening yeah, yeah that's the th- that's what exactly what i was sort of you know, dancing around there the men are being kidnapped and like tortured into slavery and while it's never explicitly stated also definitely used that way for purposes of reproduction and, and it's, it's you know so so this is a the current state of affairs for this planet and it's very non-consensual it's very um uh, as, as i think the closing term is rapey 
Um, yeah. And yeah, that's rather uncomfortable when you, you know, think about it for like five minutes, guys. Uh, and as I was saying, you know, it's like this might be the, you know, the, the, the less awful version of this world. So, yeah, you know, which, you know, I'm, I'm trying to imply that, yeah, it could have been a lot worse than that potentially before all this happened, Kirk. And instead of maybe trying to be present to help them transition to a less uh, 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 you know, awful power dynamic here, you're just going to end the episode and never think about this again. Well, the only thing that he ever says about it is you can still control the men, but just manipulate them with, you know, womanly whatevers. Yeah, all that crap. He even says mm-hmm. that he sees why the men are being manipulated, because look at those assets. Yeah. Because that's about as close as you can get to saying, look at her hot butt on 60s TV, I guess. Mm. Are we sure Roddenberry was taking a backseat this season? <laughs> Oh, it's been like a couple weeks since we've covered a Star Trek episode as far as our recording schedule goes, but I don't know. Maybe maybe we should take a couple more weeks for the next one. Well, <laughs> uh, overall, so we got a bunch of terrible stuff going on with the dynamics here. This weird... Like, presenting them as human is the main problem. Like, if if you look at non-human, non-social animals... Like, you you don't always have the same kind of, like, pair bonding or long-term monogamous relationships that humans and other social animals do. So if you presented it that kind of way, it could be just a different way of dealing with that dynamic in this species. But since you have to basically be everyone's just human and acts human, this is a horrible deviation from happy monogamous, you know, 50s family time. Not only that, but the women are in charge. Which, you know, I'm, you know, I'm cool with women being in charge, but, you know, the you know, that's not the point here. The, the point is that this, this whole society is just being, you know, predicated on uh, physical and uh, sexual abuse. And then, of course, there's, like, bringing up the time machine thing, this is exactly the same mechanization fears that they had since H.G. Wells was writing about it. And it's, I don't, I'm, I'm getting sick of it. We're still making this junk. We're still making this argument. Like we're still trying yep. to tell stories like this. And there's some interesting things to explore with it, but all we're doing is rehashing the same thing over and over and over, which is the more we automate stuff with mechanization in Wells's time period and then computers by the time we get to Star Trek in the 60s and all the stuff we're talking about now. The idea is the more we mechanize and give away some of the stuff we're doing to machines, the less good at doing things we'll become and eventually we will become dumb, docile animals that just get taken care of and become stupid and useless. What if this society was stupid and useless before all of this? But also, this is another thing. We always co- they always come in at the end here and go, oh my god, look at how stupid and useless these people are because these machines are taking care of all of their basic needs. But face- what you're describing is a utopian society where everyone's basic needs are being met, and you're complaining about the fact that they're just enjoying themselves, and you know maybe they have lost something like philosophically or mentally like but who cares they all seem pretty happy yeah well at least ladies do like if you took out the rapey stuff in this if you just if everyone was living in this like you know everything's taken care of environment it would be a completely utopian society but they'd still rush in go oh my god the computers are doing more than the people that is wrong and then destroy the whole thing even if they didn't have Spock's brain in here, you know that the way that they write this show, they still would have come in, gone, this is wrong, and blown up something. You know, in, in this particular case, you could, you know, you know, make an argument that Spock would, like, only let himself get returned to his, uh, you know, proper br- uh, body uh, if, like, someone else volunteered to take his place or something like that. That would be an interesting uh, story potentially to explore. But no, we just have to sort of end the society and the end. Yeah, they didn't even explore anything with this because it's pretty obvious that Spock doesn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes a mention about how interesting it is to be hooked up to all these computers, which if you think about his character as presented thus far, something like this where he basically just got his mind expanded to near infinite proportions would basically be really, really enticing to someone with that kind of character. Yeah. 
They don't even spend a minute going, oh, but you wouldn't be able to explore the universe or whatever and convince him back. They don't have the thing at all. So it's like, well, we've got to take your brain out of this computer, uh, basically doom an entire civilization. But hey, we get you back. Yeah, uh, maybe a different way to sort of take that uh, is that, you know, you know, it's like, yes, I have this expanded sort of reach, but my mental capabilities are still the same. And I'm very quickly you know, running out of things to explore in this world. And I, you know, maybe he's like, you know, you know, there's a, a sign that he's actually frightened about the limitations of being in the state that, you know, you know, that, you know, I'll just end up being, uh, you know, the air recycler forever. And that's it. All, that's all. Everything I'll be able to talk, uh, think about, uh, except when someone happens to be showing up the communicator to speak to me. And, yeah, they yeah. could have just. They could have done a lot of interesting discussions with that. They could have even done the kind of, you know, it's it's wrong to, like, kidnap this person and put them in this situation. But now that they're there, how right is it to you know? doom a civilization to save this one person even if the situation they were put in was wrong in the first place there's a lot of really interesting philosophical stuff to be said about that but they don't bother at all no of course why would they (laughs) why would they bother to do a thing (sighs) they don't deal with complex philosophy even when they have a budget yeah. <laughs> Why would they do it in this episode? <laughs> Where you know they sort of you know hint at possibilities of conversation, and they just cut even though know, you know everything else other than that. This is what I really don't understand with everyone's criticism of this episode because I don't want to come off sounding harsh, but I have seen other episodes of this series. We both have watched other mm-hmm. episodes of this series that are just as light on their messages and philosophies. But a lot of the people writing about them put a lot of the stuff in and go, well, this is an interesting situation. Let's look at the philosophies surrounding it, even though they don't explicitly say any of the things in the show. Mm-hmm. So as a jumping off point for philosophical discussion, I would say that this episode is no less interesting or valid than a lot of the other ones that people are praising. True. So I just don't uh, I don't really understand what it is that people are being so critical about with this particular case. Well, Other than it is directed very badly. Yeah. Well, I think it might have what something I kind of uh, you know uh, circled a bit there in the uh, synopsis uh, a a particular sort of bad writing which is kind of extra obvious uh, in this episode compared to some of the others where they very much wanted to have a particular moment where something specific happens or there's some specific aspect. And they did everything in their power to bend it so that that would happen and then bend it back so that the status quo is reestablished at the end of the episode. And that's the moment where Kirk is using the remote control to have Spock uh, grab the lady and push the button. Uh, and the uh, well, I'm drawing, you know, declaring that as the most likely sort of wow moment they were going for is because that is kind of the climax of the episode for one. Um, and yeah. also it's sort of, all the pieces build up to the specific moment that you need a individual that lacks the the uh, the, the brain to be you know incapacitated by the the, the pain sensor or uh, delivery uh, system there, uh, as well as some means to control that body external to them. So you need someone who's basically been turned into a robot without having a robot because that would be convenient. So they really just wanted, for some reason, they just wanted to make sure that Kirk got to be in charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted Kirk to save the day, but using Sc- Spock's body, uh, you know, save the day by remote control. Uh, and so, you know, so you need this. So let's. All right. So why would Spock be in this state in the first place? Well, maybe he's lost his brain. All right. Well, maybe we wake the entire episode about that. There's trying to hunt down his brain. OK, so, you know, but well, why is Spock's actually there trying to rescue his brain like physically? When, uh, under this remote control system, well, maybe there's a ticking clock and they need to be able to re- reinstall his brain right away. All right, so we got that. So, but, you know, that also requires Kirk to sort of make this bonkers argument that this is exactly what they need to do uh, because of that ticking clock. Um, well, we'll just say he, have him say it, even though it makes no damn sense in the first place. Also, make sure we get our double two scoops of misogyny. And, uh, you know, and uh, Phil and, uh, you know, uh, Kirk manhandling women there uh, in an uncomfortable fashion and everything works out uh, as far as writing the script done. Let's film. Hmm. Yep. That sounds likely. Yeah. 
Yeah, this this sort of wow moment sort of seeking, though, is something that I've seen in shows, in writing, and other things, uh, in, you know, some of the worst fanfics I've ever read, uh, read uh, <laughs> that, you know, that's just like, okay, you got a, a, you know, a pure idea for this particular thing, but you're not willing to do the work to justify it properly, or you're, or alternatively, or, or and or I guess, uh, you're unwilling to bend that idea to make it make any sense given what you're able to work with. And when you're dealing with a TV show where you do need to return to the status quo at the ep- uh, end of the episode, at least to a reasonable degree, you need to be able to be flexible about that sort of thing. Otherwise, you get some really ridiculous stuff. It reminds me of this interview I saw a while ago with how companies are writing modern video games. And they said that they come up with set pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to have them fighting on a crashing airplane going through an icicle or something. And then they write a story to get you to that point in the video game. <laughs> All right. So they need to have two guys. And one of them needs to be like looking like this. So that means um, he's a veteran of the uh, the psychic wars in uh, Uruguay. And uh, the, the, main, the, the protagonist is fighting them because uh, uh, they, they killed their entire family um, and like beat them at poker once. And... <laughs> And so, so how do they get here specifically? Uh, we're gonna, you know, okay, we need to have the, have the plane, so they need to be leaving from an airport somewhere, and maybe the one guy landed on the other plane uh, because they're trying to get something, they're trying to rescue something, or maybe they're trying to just get revenge. Um, we'll figure that out later. But well, they'll be, they'll be MacGuffin of some sort, and we need to have a sort of ticking clock that will only matter after you finish the uh, beating the bad guy, because then you'll have like 10 minutes to uh, run to the end of the thing, whatever. And, you know, drama and excitement, and I don't even know what this thing's about. Do you get one? Yeah, it's Fox MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But it's it's very much a product of you know you know in the the video game uh, bitch you know, of a marketing sort of a you know, effort, and I suspect that might have been something similar going on here, where they want a uh, sort of a tagline for like we got a a season opener with this a particular twist where or, or Spock's being you know used as a, like a robot, but he's but it's it's to rescue himself or something. Yeah, well, what a like the, just to come up with that title. Like Spock's brain. Okay, what about it? <laughs> does he have a headache? Um, is, does he have some sort of horrible cancer that they're trying to get a cure for? Um, has he just been thinking too hard again? And I know, like we've criticized this before, but since this is the start of a new season, uh, I feel like we should at least mention their constant trend of coming in, seeing a society that seems to basically be functioning, mm-hmm. even though they might have some criticisms of said society going, this society is not our society and is therefore bad, so let's destabilize it completely and instill our own. Mm-hmm. One thing, though, I, I, I'm kind of wondering, though, is why did these particular alien folks track down the Enterprise specifically? Well, it seems like they just besides plot convenience, <laughs> nearby. They didn't say. All they said is, like, they need a new, they need a new controller brain every 10,000 years or so. And they sent her out to get it. I think this, uh, you know, the, the reason I mentioned it is that there's the, they explicitly say that there's two other planets in that system with, uh, you know, so, you know, moderately advanced civilizations compared to the, you know, you know the Federation things like that. Um, so you know, there is potentially very smart people they could, you know, ab- abduct from those planets, and but they don't. And but that got me kind of thinking though that this kind of that you got the. The 1400s plan, you got the 2030s plan, and you got Ice Age planet with the secret you know, technological background. And it almost seems like the, you know, the, the the Enterprise, Kirk and everybody, is trying to get that Ice Age planet to reconform to where their, quote, level of development should be given the state of their planet. Oh, that is true. They're trying to just turn them into a horrible Ice Age society again. Yep. <laughs> It's like you know, we we had this first look at your what your world's about, and now we're going to make sure you conform to that. Well, that is kind of the concept. Like if you get, if you start looking at someone's society and go, well, 
you're obviously a super primitive society. I'm going to treat you that way. And then it's like, actually, not so much because primitive is a weird term anyway. Mm -hmm. But, you know, actually, we're doing some other stuff and possibly better than you. Like, nope, primitive. Stop. Stop doing that. Yeah, I guess it gets back to the, you know, the nuclear reactor uh, uh, stuff there. Can, you know, I, I suspect our typical viewer is probably not able to run one of those themselves either. But we have them in our society, but people are, you know, specialized and, you know, they, this might be a wondrous technology, but, you know, we you just grab a bunch of us, toss us out in the middle of nowhere, and we are still who we are today. If you don't know how to work your computer and where, how to run the nuclear power that powers your computer, you're going to become stupid and docile and don't deserve <laughs> to live or have things. So when, you know, when the space colonialists come to get you, you, you will totally deserve it. Now, to, to finish my thought there, you know, we, we, we toss, you know, random selection to people there who are not experts in the most advanced things in our society, or even that are, and into a situation where they are without those conveniences, they're not any less primitive than they were when they're in our society today, despite now horribly struggling to, you know, get buying, you know, you know, uh, f uh, food and clothe themselves and all that stuff in this, you know, alien, uh, you know, environment. We have, we just sort of, uh, uh, toss them in. That doesn't mean they're primitive at least. And same way. If you reverse it, if you take some folks that have no experience with this technology and toss them in our, into our society, they might not, you know, you know, immediately take to all the technologies, uh, technological wonders we have, but they will eventually, just as we will be, you know, be able to make it in the, uh, in the, in the wilds there, uh, because we're both people that are able to learn things and, you know, just tossing us, you know, changing these, uh, you know, sort of external factors about us does not change the internal structures of who we are. Hope that makes yeah, sense. In a way it's kind of the, it's kind of this weird opposite thing of like all those odd time travel narratives like if you you know get a person from the past to come to the future and they won't know how to live and use technology or something because you know obviously they would have to learn how to use technology or some stuff but this is kind of the opposite like you use technology so much that now you're dumb and you can't use technology yeah i'm 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 trying to come up with something here. I'm but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm mostly just shrugging. <laughs> well, I have one more thing. Like I had one more little thing, and then we can move on to being <laughs> done with this. <laughs> okay, go for it. Let's. We want to talk about Mike the headless chicken. Mike the headless chicken. Is this the the chicken that actually lost its head and was like had a little bit of its brain left over and was able to like uh, survive? Yep, this is a chicken that lived without a head. For 18 months. How'd they do that? So basically, this family in uh, 1945, so before Star Trek, maybe this is where they got it, uh, was going to basically kill and eat a family chicken. And they kind of botched the head removal in a sort of messed up way. But it basically missed a decent chunk of the spinal of the brainstem. Uh, most of the jugular vein, which immediately was able to kind of by fluke clog itself with a blood clot, and um, enough of like, I think, part of an ear, because uh, bird's ears are in kind of a weird place in the back of the head. Yeah, sort of and, like back and down and like, yeah. Yeah, so this chicken doesn't have a head, and but still maintained enough of its brain, the part of the brain that runs your uh, basic life functions like regulating your heart rate and controlling your breathing the automated the autonomic functions yes yeah which then you know they had a chicken yeah and they decided <laughs> to keep it alive by feeding it through the like throat hole and they took it around for about a year to like sideshows and and uh, such like it's a little gruesome says that <laughs> just owning this chicken and taking it to sideshows and stuff Earned the family about four thousand dollars a month, which uh, for inflation is about fifty thousand dollars. Well, there's yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, you know, uh, lucky, lucky be them for their horrific butchering accident. <laughs> and then the chicken eventually uh, choked on a piece of corn and died in my hometown, of Phoenix, Arizona. Hmm. Long live the headless chicken. Which you know, this is kind of a gruesomey story. 
but it's kind of a weird one on the way that we think about kind of your brain versus your body and like everything controlling everything and also the way that we think of like animal cognition like overall you kind of like people kind of have this idea that you would without your brain you would just be sort of a dumb animal like most animals don't really use higher brain functioning they just sort of react to stimulus and and live like you know just breathe and eat and know when to run away from things but as this kind of demonstrates you you keep like a a tiny chunk of your nervous system because your brain stem is like sort of indistinguishable from your spinal cord and that keeps all of your basic functions alive and the chicken was able to walk around and do stuff and apparently it tried to crow which seems depressing I think, uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about what that sounds like but like the the rest of its brain was doing something they don't have enough of a write-up and documentation since it was like a sideshow chicken to say like how different its behavior was but obviously the very basic like functioning of life doesn't require all of this brain stuff so this weird idea that we that we have of this complete separation of mind and body and also just the way we're thinking about the minds of animals this kind of demonstrates both of those things that they're very very interconnected to such a weird point that this chicken lost 90 percent of its brain and was still able to live just fine like, we don't know what it lost, its inner thoughts or whatever was going on there, but it was still functioning and walking around and doing stuff. And uh, It was attempting to feed itself. Apparently it would attempt to peck at stuff, but did not have the you know, abilities to do so. So it did need to be fed, but it still tried the basic motions to be able to feed itself. It had, if it had had a beak, it would have been able to. Yeah, you know, sort of a you know something that's sort of hardwired into the you know you know, the, you know that lower bit of the brain there. Like ah, food is present, I must peck at it. So there we go. Oh, I'm just a stump. Apparently, and we have there's people who, um, for one reason or another, usually like very very severe childhood seizures, have had to have a full half of their brain removed. And they still live. There's usually, like, some amount of deterioration of, like, like you can't use one side of your body quite as well. There's usually some, like, visual distortions and things. But uh, people have said, even people who, you know, are work in the medical profession and perform these procedures and work with people who have had to have this brain procedure done as a small child, um, when people, like, walk into a room, you can't immediately tell. Like, your brain will reorganize itself like people can lose people have lost massive chunks of their brains and the brain can reorganize itself to an absurd degree to allow you to continue to function it's uh, almost like our brain is uh, you know has redundancies in it well it's far more than redundancies from what we're learning like the entire thing can restructure itself based on what you need to do they've done like you know brain scans as much as you can can work off of some of those uh, of people who were born blind and the part of their brain that would in other people be used for vision has been completely taken over by touch so that they can like read braille faster it's kind of cool actually wonder if we'll uh, be able to touch on this in later episodes of star trek well hopefully <laughs> i actually watched a tng episode where uh, something like that was kind of happening um mm. and uh Long story short, Deanna uh, Troy says, oh, that's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but she was also kind of upset at the time. So anyway, <laughs> I don't got anything else. So <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted to uh, rant about, uh, you know, this this odd obsession with having to, you know, you know, take this one element and then make a story out of it and how that can be very detrimental to writing. And that's yeah I'm kind of ranting about how ridiculous this society is anyway that's all i gotta add so okay so apparently it's gonna be time for the galaxy's favorite game show hey everybody welcome back to the game show portion of the show our contestants for the new season of uh Tallied up a few points so far. Uh, we don't have any uh, clear winners here, especially in this episode. But we got a few uh, prizes to hand out all the same. 
The first is the hard drive brain uh, prize, which goes to McCoy and Kara's brain, specifically, for all that downloading, kid. Also, uh, kind of Spock's brain, too, I guess, but not all the Spock. What, what do they win, collectively, these, these piles of brains, Gepwin? The piles of brains win some antivirus software, or possibly a VPN. Also, apparently, we're the only thing left on the internet that's not sponsored by a VPN, so not sponsored. <laughs> Because it's a bad idea to just download random stuff into your brain like that. You never know what kind of malware might be ended up on your uh, your, your 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 higher functions there. Hmm, that's a good point, Captain. Oh, <laughs> uh, second one is the Cat Burglar Award, which goes to Kirk and Company for sneaking into the underground complex to ice a brain, uh, and then you know doing this badly. What do they win? They win just any sort of plan, because it wasn't really that much of a burglary to spring a trap that was definitely intended to kidnap people that's a good point um i'm going to recommend uh you know uh uh, uh, uh tobin's guide to uh, ghostly plans it's like the his second volume after the spirit guide Does that work for him yeah that would be good all right <laughs> Our third award is the Carry the Whip Award, which goes to the iMorg, I think, uh, the the underground ladies, whatever they're called, for putting uh, the pain belts on everyone. And it's like, ah, I'm now going to specifically only cause you pain and uh, knock you out with these things, as opposed to this gentle uh, device which I was able to use up until this point. What do they win, Gepwin? They win with those little flippy plastic covers that you use to keep you from accidentally pressing super important buttons that, like, disarm the thing you're using to control all of the people in your underground complex. That's a very good point there. It was a little too easy to push that red, big red button. Our final award is the Puppet Masters Award, which goes to McCoy for successfully turning Spock's body into his own personal puppet. Who's the Vulcan now, huh? Huh? What does he win, Gepin? McCoy, since now, you know, his puppet's broke since they put the brain back in it, gets a little wind-up Vulcan. <laughs> I'm sure he'll have uh, hours of amusement with that and, until, you know, he decides he needs to tell Spock to shut up again. Take it away, Gepard. <laughs> Let's get out of well, here. everyone loses. This episode, everyone <laughs> loses. But most of all us for watching this. Indeed. So thank all the contestants and all of you for sticking around on this, the galaxy's favorite game show! Well, that was a thing. Uh, Yep. Next episode I've sort of heard of but don't know anything about. I recall a little bit about it. Um... I, yeah, I look at some of the pictures here. It's like, I remember that lady. Oh, takes into Romulan space. Yes. The Romulans. Okay. They're back. Yep. To the Romulan stuff. Good. <laughs> this is an episode called The Enterprise Incident. Hmm. Well, hopefully this is not a, a terrible incident that gets a, everyone killed and starts a, a intergalactic war of some sort. That'd be annoying. They might. I don't know what's going on with this. This is this the one where Kirk has to pretend to be a Romulan? Um, I don't know. Romulan vessel disguised as one of their officers. Hmm. So maybe that's something that popped out at me in the synopsis here. Hmm. Plastic surgery, Romulan features. Yeah, we're going undercover then. There's like a Romulan commander who's trying to seduce Spock. I guess she doesn't have a name. Looks like. So fine. This is is this why Spock becomes so buddy buddy with the Romulans later? Maybe falls in love and it's secretly his motivation for trying to uh, hang out with them more. Doesn't seem unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll figure out whether this episode's better or worse next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Kirk causes yet another international incident. have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin. 
and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>